Okay, great. My name is Bianca Stabelfield, and today I'll be reading Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseas and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it unto the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart and whether I am changed or defending and confirming in the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Good morning. Thank you for joining Gateway Online. Our conversation today is about stubborn joy, specifically where does joy come from? To kick us off this morning, I want you to hear from Ina York. Ina serves a village in the Dominican Republic, and it's our privilege to support her work there. I recently had a chance to ask Ina if anything has tickled her joy bone in the midst of this planetary lockdown, and here's what Ina said. Hey, Ina York. Hey, Adon. So, Ina, we are on a lockdown in Northern Virginia. We're kind uh -huh. of shelter in place. What's going on in the Dominican Republic? This same here. That's where we've been since mid-March. So Thanks. since mid-March, your Corona Corps is basically you. Basically me, yes. So you're feeling the same challenge we are. So I know we are starting a series of conversations on Sunday morning at Gateway. We're talking about joy. Yes. And I was wondering what has tickled Ina York's joy bone over the last week or two. Is there something that's brought you joy? Well, there have been many things, but one in particular, Marcelina. Those of you that have been to Circadio recently will remember Marcelina, one of our community leaders. And she is definitely one of those economically vulnerable at this time. Mm -hmm. And rather than choosing just to stay in her house and worry about it, she's decided to start making face masks. And first she made them just for her family and got her family involved in making them. Then they started making them for their neighbors. Well, word's gotten out. And Marcelina tells me that any given morning, there'll be a long line of people waiting at her door because they know they can go to her and they can get a free face mask. Well, she said, I always have to yell at them first. Hey, remember, two meters apart, two meters apart. And she said, after I've yelled at them for a bit, then I say, oh, by the way, God loves you. May I pray with you? And so she does that. And she was just telling me yesterday, I had a conversation with her yesterday. And just with great joy, she said to me, Ina, it is such a blessing to be able to serve others. Her joy gives me great joy. Mm. Ina, that's perfect. Thank you so much. We're praying for you. We love you. Take care of yourself. Thank you so much. All right. Blessings. And to you. Over the next few weeks, we'd love to hear from you about what's bringing you joy, big or small. Please share your joy moments in our Facebook group and or tag us on Instagram at Gateway Church Nova in your story or post. And please include a picture if you have one. All right, there's a verse in the Old Testament, Nehemiah 8.10, that tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. But what does that mean, the joy of the Lord? Where does that come from? How do we tap into that? If we're honest, some of us 
are in joyless careers or joyless marriages or largely joyless lives. So how do we even start to move toward joy? Well, over the next eight weeks, we're going to discover some ways of thinking, some patterns of behavior, some life choices that will lead to joy. It's not a simple journey. You wouldn't believe it if it sounded like that. There aren't quick, easy answers to this. Plus, the ways of thinking and the behavior patterns we'll be talking about, they must be chosen. We'll have to do more than just hear about it. But we can get there. All of us can grow in the direction of joy. That includes those of us who've practiced our spiritual life for a long time. We can all grow in this direction, and our enforced sabbaticals present us an awesome chance to take some steps. Now, before we really jump in, let's just make an observation about the context. I hope this context note will help us really appreciate what Paul tells us. Did you notice verse 7 when Bianca read it? It is right for me to feel this way about you, Paul said, since I have you in my heart, for whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Now, when Paul says, whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, this wasn't an either-or proposition for him. They were both true at the time of this writing. He was defending the gospel constantly, and he was in chains. That means that Paul was in prison. I hope you got that. Right now, you and I are stuck at home, unable to go out to eat at all, stuck with the kids driving us crazy, overwhelmed by news with constantly changing, even conflicting conclusions, wondering when in the world this hardship is going to end, which is a great trial for most of us, but at least it ain't prison, right? Paul is writing from prison and an ancient Near Eastern prison to boot. And still he claims to be praying with joy. How? I'm going to get to some of the how in a minute, but a quick sidebar first about joy. You know, every Sunday here at Gateway, I contend for the faith. I mean, I try to make a case for the truth of our faith. I try to defend the fact that our lives go better when we fully trust in Christ. And if you're part of Gateway, you gather here with me when the whole world is not on shutdown. We gather and rehearse these faith truths with one another. And sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes we overstate our case. The topic of joy is a perfect example of that. Sometimes we find ourselves saying things like, you can't have joy unless you have a relationship with God. We might even try to get clever and say things like, oh, you can have happiness, but not joy. And we make sure we say joy in a way that's dripping with drama, suggesting something much deeper than mere happiness. But that's not true, is it? There are many things that can be sources of joy. Work, if it's meaningful and purposeful, can fuel joy. Serving others can certainly fuel joy. Family, healthy family, can fuel joy. We can even go outside of the bounds of acceptable behavior and find joy. I mean, Proverbs 15:21 says, folly brings joy to one who has no sense. In other words, if you're dumb enough, pure idiocy can fuel joy for you. But stubborn joy, resilient joy, life-giving, sustaining joy, joy that is independent of circumstances. Well, no, that's a different thing. And that's the thing we desperately need, especially now. So what fuels our movement in that direction? Okay, in the passage that Bianca read for us just now, we noticed two brilliant things about joy right out of the gate that we need to look at. The first one is subtle. We don't see this one easily unless we linger unless we kind of know the Apostle Paul, but, but we need to see it. And the other one is obvious, but equally important. 
So here's what we see. First, we see one of the assumptions that fueled Paul's joy. In other words, this is one of those ways of thinking that lead to joy in our lives. It's buried deep in Paul's person, deep in his heart. We shouldn't miss it. It's literally underneath everything he says and does. So let's tease it out. Secondly, we'll see what it was about the Philippians that made them a fuel source for Paul's joy. And this will be one of those life habits that will encourage stubborn joy in us over the long haul. Okay, so first, Paul had this life-governing principle, this assumption that fueled his joy. It was so assumptional for Paul that it leaked through nearly every sentence he wrote. It spills out of him literally from hello. Here it is. Paul's life was not his own. Wait, what? And recognizing that made him joyful? Yes. Let me explain how we see it and why it made him joyful. If you look at the greeting in verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. He begins with his name and the name of his companion, Timothy. Nothing unusual here. This was how ancient Near Eastern letters began. They didn't begin with Dear John. They began with the person who was writing the letter. And then he attaches a descriptive phrase. This also wasn't unusual. For example, archaeologists have dug up letters from Egyptian pharaohs with descriptive phrases attached to their names in letter openings. Phrases like the, the son of the sun god or the great ruler over all the earth. Those are actual quotes, by the way, of letter openings from the pharaohs. But the descriptive phrase Paul chooses is servants of Christ Jesus. And the word servant here is not the word for indebted employee, which was a well-known concept in the ancient world. It's also not the word for house servant. There was such a word. This is the Greek word doulos, which means slave. In other words, hi, I'm Paul and my life is not my own. There's more. Then in the standard form of an ancient letter, Paul addresses the recipients, the Philippians. And here again, his assumption leaks out. He says, grace and peace to you. So the casual Jewish greeting in Paul's day was shalom, meaning peace. This was short for peace of God be upon you. The typical non-Jewish letter began with the general greeting karain. This is a form of the word grace that had become a colloquial way of saying hello. But Paul exchanges karain for charis, which is not the usual casual greeting, but a stronger, stricter word for grace. And then he added the Jewish greeting, peace. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, hey guys, it's all about grace. What we have physically, we have as a gift from God. What we are, we are as a gift from God. And our relationship with God comes to us as a gift, as an exercise in grace. It's all about grace. This is just another way of saying our lives are not our own. They are a gift from God. Now, this is an incomplete analogy, but think of early childhood in a happy home. We're taken care of, we're nurtured, we're taught, and we're loved. Who we are and who we're becoming comes to us largely from outside of ourselves. Our job is to learn and grow and obey because we don't know enough to take care of ourselves. We don't know enough to teach ourselves. In a very large sense, our lives are not our own. When we're young children, we literally don't know what's best for us most of the time. Maybe this is why Jesus said having connection with God looks like being a child. Our lives are not our own. So think of the life of this young child growing up in a happy, healthy home. What's the substance of her life? 
Well, it looks like scattered moments of managed disappointment surrounded by unburdened exploration, unfettered learning, and carefree joy. Paul's heart was like a little child. He knew his life was not his own, and that knowledge fueled freedom and release and peace and stubborn joy. And it will for us as well as we learn and grow in this knowledge. Our lives are not our own. And this isn't just a truth for religious people. This is true for all people. How have the current circumstances taught us something about that? It's just that Christ followers are profoundly honest about this truth and embrace it with freedom. Our lives are not our own. This is a thought pattern and a way of seeing our lives that fuels joy over the long haul. Okay, the second thing we see in Paul's hello here is what it was about the Philippians that made them a source of joy for Paul. And we learn something here about a life habit that fuels joy. Down in verse 7, Paul commends them because they, quote, share in God's grace with me. Now that's rich. Remember the grace part we just talked about? This is a confirmation that these Philippians got it, that they shared, that they believed this stuff, and, and they share in this knowledge with Paul. Paul is not alone. He has a posse, and it's a source of joy for him, of course, because we all need a posse. That's obvious, but profound stuff. But he actually says much more back up in verses 4 and 5. Here's what he says. And all of my prayers for all of you, pause for a second and think about the kind of spiritual life that would allow someone to say something like that. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Man, these Philippians were all in. Paul is talking about a real, active engagement in the life of God, a partnership. So there are kind of two aspects to this that are remarkable, and both of them speak to the second part, Paul's joy and ours. First of all, again, these Philippians were all in with Paul. In other words, Paul's heart is filled with joy because he knows that his Philippian friends are with him and that they are both all together with God in Christ. They share in God's grace. They are partners in the gospel. Look, if you're part of Gateway, you know, at least for our church, this is part of our core vision. We believe God has called us to be and to build authentic Christian community. And part of the reason for our emphasis on this is we need this. We were made for this, all of us. This is a fuel source for joy for all of us over the long haul. I saw the results a number of years ago of a comprehensive generational survey. Essentially, it was designed to identify the differing priorities for differing generations. So they surveyed builders and boomers and busters and uh, Gen Xers. Millennials, you weren't old enough to be surveyed at the time. There's a joke there, but I won't tell it. And when you looked at the top five priorities for each of these generations, there were things like patriotism or, or family or job security or making money or God or adventure. And there were striking differences between the generations that were interesting. In fact, the only priority that appeared on all of the lists as one of the top five was community. We need a posse. Over the long haul, it fuels joy in our lives. This is one of the reasons our current life condition is so hard. And this is vital for us to remember during the current crisis. We need community, but not just any community. This is the second part of this second larger point. 
Paul's stubborn joy is fueled by the knowledge that his Philippian friends are fellow participants. They are partners in the gospel. They are all in with Jesus Christ. Not just community, but community in Christ, authentic Christian community. If you've made a connection with God, the governing principle on which your life is being built, then you fully understand this. Especially if you have friends or family or children whom you love. You know the joy of knowing that they are with you in this and that you are together with God in Christ with you. This is the kind of posse that fuels stubborn joy. Honestly, you don't need a golf group who gives you a hard time once a week about your swing while the group of you slowly get tipsy. I mean, the golf is really good for you, but that's not the kind of posse that builds stubborn joy in your life over the long haul. You don't need a wine club with which you sit around and complain about your marriage. That kind of posse will not build stubborn joy in your life. You need to connect with fellow partners, with people who are all in spiritually, who can encourage the right kind of thinking and the right life choices. Honestly, you and I need a gospel-believing church. And not just a gospel-believing church we can attend. We need a partnership in that church. Okay, there have got to be at least four or five of you watching who are thinking just what I expected, preacher boy. Look, I'm not into organized religion, okay? I believe in God, but I, I can't do all of that other stuff, and I don't even believe it's necessary. Fine. Then find your own spiritually alive posse. Find your own close-knit group who can support you and support your connection to God who can encourage you while you encourage them to be all in on the story of Jesus. Seriously, do that. It fuels joy over the long run. Besides, I'm certain most of what you believe about organized religion is true. So find your own posse, but just be careful. Because if you want to invite other people, and you certainly will if your posse is life-giving, and then if you want to do good things with your fellow posse mates, and you will, you'll want to be charitable, then, then before you know it, you'll have a church. And pretty soon, somebody's going to come visit your church and they'll have the same complaints about you that you have about the church you're complaining about. So why not just avoid it? Do it alone, just you and God, because that's not how you were designed. That's not a long-term strategy for building stubborn joy. Well, why not just attend occasionally? Find somewhere that nurtures your heart, somewhere that you can really connect with the communicator, because that's not what you were designed for. That's not a long-term strategy for stubborn joy. You need to share in God's grace. You need partnership. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day until now, it's right for me to feel this way about you. Since I have you in my heart, for whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. I'm in prison. Things are not going well, at least on the surface, but I'm praying constantly with joy. And I'm able to do this because I know in my bones the freeing reality that my life is not my own. And I've got a posse who is with me, all in, with God, in Christ. Okay, one final comment. I, I said earlier that the real long-term stubborn joy strategy here was for you to be a partner in a gospel-believing church. So let me end today by giving a brief defense of that. Now, when Paul uses the word gospel, he's talking about the story of Jesus, his life, death, resurrection, and what that story means for us. That's the gospel. 
Our word gospel translates the Greek word euangelion, and I love what Pastor Tim Keller said about this. Euangelion, according to Keller, literally means joy news. J.R.R. Tolkien says there's a kind of story that brings us unbelievable joy. Tolkien, as some of you may know, is the author of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and he was also a literary professor who studied story-making. So here's Keller's explanation of Tolkien's explanation. Quote, he says these stories always have a certain kernel to them. There's always some incredibly hopeless situation and victory is snatched out of the jaws of defeat. But how? Always through someone who comes in and whose weakness turns out to be strength, someone whose defeat turns out to be a victory. He says it's those kinds of stories that just seem to bring us joy. He calls them eucatastrophes. Do you know what the word eucatastrophe means? The joyful catastrophe, the tragedy that turns out to be a triumph, the sacrifice that turns out to bring joy. He said, however, there's a eucatastrophe of all eucatastrophes. There is a story in all of these stories or behind all of these stories. He believes, Tolkien believes, there's a base string to the human heart. And those stories can kind of make it reverberate a little bit, but they can't really pluck it. Tolkien says, the gospel story is the only story that will pluck that string so that the whole heart never stops reverberating and vibrating with joy. The reason it will reverberate is this is the reality to which all of those other stories point. It happened. It really happened. There really is a hero who defeats the villain. There really is Jesus. The word gospel means the joy news, joy, it's real, and you have to have it. Let's pray. Father, we pause for a moment to acknowledge that our life is not our own, and there's freedom in that. There's joy available to us in that. And Father, some of us today are deeply thankful for the posse that we have in our lives. Often, Lord, we don't even recognize the benefit that we're receiving, the tracks toward joy that it lays down in our lives. But today we want to thank you. Others of us, Lord, I pray that you will enable us, you'll show us where to dive in and create that posse, to step into that kind of community in our lives. Help us, Lord, to build a strategy toward stubborn joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.